Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Thursday, February 9th, 2017. All right, this going to be one of those uh, rare programs where it's like, think along with me. It's going to take a wee bit of work here. Try to have a little levity along the way, but trying to put some dots together. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you slow down. Slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God, to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there. We take the time to, you know, open up the Bible and check things in context to test and see if what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles— and apostolates, uh, you know, see if what they're saying actually squares with what God's Word says. Are they teaching sound biblical doctrine? Uh, you know, things like that. Or are they uh, generally teaching for shameful gain the things that they ought not to teach? That's yeah, that's kind of what we do here. And as I said at the opening of the program, uh, from time to time, and it's been a while since I've done a program where I've, you know, the theme is kind of, it's in there. There is a theme. Uh, but I don't know how to work the narrative around the theme. And you, you think, well, the what? Well, here's the idea, is that it's one thing to provide, uh, you know, if you would, just a big truckload, a dump truck full of data. You know, it's like, thump, there it is. Um, it's another thing to say, here's some data, here's what it means, let's compare this to what God's Word says and try to fit this into some, some grander, big vision, scheme, picture kind of thingy. And uh, from time to time, I have data points, and I don't know what to do with them. And so I sit on them, and I churn on them. And then I debate whether or not I'm going to bring them into the program or not. And sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. Sometimes I hang on to them. I, you know, I keep a database of uh, of stuff that doesn't make it to the air that I think has some significance, but I'm not sure what it is. And uh, and so uh, today's program is kind of like that. It's a come think along with me program, and uh, we're going to throw a question out onto the table, and not everything 
in the first hour will seem like it fits. Um, but in my mind, it does. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And see, here's the reason why is that um, I don't always tell you some of the conclusions I come to because I keep them with an open hand. You know, I, I have theories that I work with. And uh, I try not to be a conspiracy theorist. I, I don't think that's helpful. Um, if you really want to be technical, I mean, I do believe that there is a conspiracy. But the, uh, the, the center of that conspiracy is not in any human organization or network. The center of that conspiracy is with the devil, the demons, and all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, and it, it's really not a hidden conspiracy because, you know, the Bible talks openly about these things. You know, our battle isn't against flesh and blood and, you know, stuff like that. Um, and, but the issue is, is that when you have a group of pastors who are all kind of doing the same dumb things in the same dumb way and show complete lack of skill, training, expertise, qualification whatsoever to actually be publicly teaching God's word, and they all kind of network together, promote each other's stuff, and you know, raise up the next generation of people to be like them. You sit there and go, you know, this, there's something else going on here. And so here's the question. We're just going to kind of throw it out on the table is, is, is the NAR, and I'm using NAR in a, in a more broad definition than, uh, than I think most people would be comfortable with. And I get that. Uh, but is the NAR, uh, the New Apostolic Reformation, and those sympathetic with its dominionist goals? How's that? Um, is, is this the, uh, the, the, the theological doctrinal equivalent to uh, the mafia? Yeah, you see, wow, you've, whoa, yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, I, I think we're dealing with some kind of like organized theological crime syndicate. And uh, and all of this is done in the name of, you know, the gifts of the spirit and all this kind of stuff. But, you know, there's just certain things that you sit there and go, these guys can't possibly be for real. And, uh, you know, you, and, and the reason I say that is because who, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, doesn't have any have any desire to rightly understand it, to correctly teach it and stuff like that. You can kind of tell somebody's a phony, you know, sometimes in the dumb little mistakes. And, and so let me give you an example from the movie uh, Mr. Mom. And, uh, you know, th this is a very famous sound bite, a uh, little movie clip from the movie Mr. Mom. And uh, see if you can kind of catch the issue here. L l let's listen in. Sorry, pal. No problem. Come on over here, Ron. Let me show you what I'm doing. Taking advantage of some of the time off to uh, add a whole new wing on here. I'm going to rip these walls out and, uh, of course, rewire it. Yeah, you're going to make it all 220? Yeah, 220, 221, whatever it takes. Yeah, 220, 221, whatever it takes. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of that kind of blunder. You sit there and go, "Yeah, something, something is sketchy here," and uh, and so uh, we're we're going to look at a couple examples of that kind of stuff um, on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith, and uh, we're we're going to look at uh, you know uh, let's say the reemergence of Perry Noble. Perry Noble this past Sunday 
preached the sermon at Elevation Church, and um, uh, you know, I I listened to it, and uh, you know, he came dangerously close to wandering into the territory of properly distinguishing law and gospel, but he did not do that at all. He totally botched the gospel, and. Uh, the the law became kind of self-deprecating, I've made mistakes kind of stuff, um, but that's okay, God's transforming me. So he didn't actually do law and gospel, but um, I held off on commenting on it because I needed to contact the uh, PR person for New Spring Church to find out if, uh, if Perry Noble has been restored to ministry. Yeah, and this this will kind of play into uh, you know our come think along with me today. Is the NAR uh, the theological equivalent to the mafia? And you're saying, are you saying that Perry Noble's in the NAR? Yeah, actually, in in the broadest definition of NAR, being kind of a loose network of like-minded people who are about you know, and you have to take the word apos- you have to take the word apostle here. And broaden it to apostolic, you know, the way they're kind of squishing it. And uh, and uh, there are those who considered Perry Noble to be an apostolic type leader. And uh, and so we'll talk about that today. Um, we we will probably head over to Hillsong, and uh, in uh, London, and listen to Dan Blythe, kind of in preparation for what it is that's going to be taking place across evangelicalism starting this Sunday. And oh man, um, and so we'll listen to a part of a sermon titled Baywatch. And you're thinking, you know, you're not doing this the normal way you do it. I know, I know. This is this is one of those programs where I, I kind of just need to kind of walk through some data points. I need to walk through some data points and kind of sort some things out. Um, I, <laughs> what hell? What have I missed in here? We'll, we'll we'll check in with Phil Pringle and John Cameron, John Cameron of Rise Church out of New Zealand. Uh, we'll take a look at something that Phil Pringle wrote in 2009. And then in hour number two, we're going to uh, to, to check in with Kong He's New Year's Eve sermon titled Visions and Dreams. And boy, is this a train wreck. So uh, that will be today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. Uh, you're thinking, what exactly are we doing today? We're thinking along. We're, we're thinking along. So remember the Mr. Mom thing, 220, 221, whatever it takes. Well, you know, just keep that thought in mind, and uh, let's do this. Let's kind of do our vision casting leader update music to kind of get us into uh, where we're going. Here we go. Full of lies 
takes the night I'm gonna take the word and twist it Slobos Ministry Records and uh, their rendition of uh, Casting Vision. So we're going to start off. We're going to start off by uh, listening to uh, Phil Pringle and uh, James, uh, sorry, John Cameron, not James, but John Cameron having a little conversation about Arise Church. And uh, remember what I said, 220, 221, whatever it takes. You know, think Mr. Mom here. See if you can spot the 220, 221 moment in, in uh, what John Cameron, the vision casting leader of uh, Arise Church in New Zealand, said. Here we go. And, uh, and definitely you've given it to them. You, you are quite well known, very well known, for uh, two things that I can think of besides your phenomenal church. And that is your preaching and disciple-making. And, uh, and so in the disciple-making arena, what, what is it that you do that accomplishes that in such a great way? All right. So notice here, uh, that's Phil Pringle asking John Cameron, you know, what, you, you're known for two things, and let's talk about kind of your secret sauce. And uh, so the first part, the first part of his answer, it's pretty, you know, harmless and straightforward. But listen. Um, uh, uh, I don't know. The great thing, um, I think one thing I'm really bad at is teaching people skills. So I've never been good at that. I've never written a manual. We've never had a leadership training track. But my focus has always been on discipling hearts. So I want unity. I, I know what, it, what our church needs to create. So I've always really focused on making sure that the hearts of those who are part of our team are in the right place. Right. So unity and the hearts are in the right place. Are a little squishy, but listen to the next part. And uh, any issues to that, we're gonna we're gonna work on it real quick and focus on those issues. It's awesome. And then I guess we've always tried to work with eagles, work with Daniels. One of our one of our themes is to try. You know, Nebuchadnezzar was the most successful ruler the world has ever seen, and the reason why was he chose young people. Who are handsome, out of any physical defects, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well informed, quick to understand, and he, he bought them real close. 
Right. So we've always made that our focus. Amazing. Yeah. Yes. Right. <laughs> did, did you catch that? 220, 221, whatever it takes. So what is it that makes – oh, we, we've, we've modeled our leadership model based on Nebuchadnezzar. Uh huh. Yeah he 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 was he he. The reason he was successful is because he chose smart, young, good-looking people uh, to be part of his leadership team. Okay, so did, did you catch that? It's like what? Okay, that's just weird. This is weird, and uh, I I agree. It's 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 a wee bit on the weird side. And uh, here's something else that's weird. And I'm going to put a link to this up with today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. And uh, this is some kind of a, you know, post Phil Pringle put up back on October 27th of 2009. So this isn't exactly super fresh, but sometimes it takes you a while to run across something or for somebody to point it to you and you know get your attention on it. And the name of the post is... Beauty, beauty. Yeah, okay, all right, beauty. And uh, so Phil Pringle, the vision casting leader who is apostolic there at uh, the C3 churches. Yeah, he's apostolic. Um, he his, his post on beauty begins with these words in type. Uh, Genesis 3.6, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes, um, and, you know, dot, 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 end quote. So there's, you, you all know where this is taking place, right? There, That's Eve that uh, is being referred to in Genesis 3, 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes, dot, dot, dot. <clears throat> Phil Pringle writes, God is not just utilitarian. He is also an artist. He creates beauty, pleasant to the eyes. Creation not only gives us food and resources for life, but beauty for the soul. We cannot afford to underestimate the power of art to feed the soul with beauty. Christians are, are, are like trees. Our congregations, our churches, music preaching should be pleasant to the eyes and the ears and the soul of people everywhere. The idea the church should be austere aesthetic is wrong. Hardly anyone remembers Savonarola and his bonfires of the vanities, but everyone in the world recognizes the enduring witness of Michelangelo's Sistine Chapel, sealing and Da Vinci's Last Supper, considered vanities by religionists. God's thumbprint in creation is beauty, something man can never match. See you in beautiful, glorious church. So his devotional thought on the importance of beauty in church is taken from Genesis 3.6 in the description of what was going on in Eve's heart after she was being after she was tempted by the serpent to eat the fruit that God forbade her and Adam and Eve from eating. And uh, again, the uh, the verse is Genesis 3, part of verse 6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes, dot, dot, dot. Yeah, I'm going to put a link to this uh, with today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. And you just have to sit there and go, what is going 
on. You know, this is Mr. Mom's 220, 221, whatever it takes, saying that your church is successful because you've modeled your leadership after Nebuchadnezzar, the, the pagan king of Babylon. And and by that, you mean that you've hired and filled your leadership ranks with the beautiful and the young and the smart. And you just <laughs> something is really wrong. I think we're dealing with a mafia network. Now, let me switch gears. We'll do kind of a, you know, I, this, this was the opening salvo in my think along with me. As I asked the question, is the NAR? And you're thinking, why do you keep talking about these people in the NAR? I have my reasons. Uh, is the NAR the is the modern you know the day equivalent of a theological mafia? Now, so next installment requires me to do a Hillsong twin spin. So let's do this. Praise the Lord for all the cash I've got. Praising for my Rolls Royce and my yacht. Serving God ain't hard with a credit card. Jesus died so I could make a lot. Praise the Lord, He's made us millionaires. Wave your donations in the air. We've replaced our hymns with ATMs, and soon we'll charge a fee on every prayer. Jesus Christ was a poor man, don't you know? He should have used our accountants for His cash flow. Stop the sermon on the mount, He should have had a bank account. Two thousand years with interest. He'd be rolling in the dough. Praise the Lord, this song's out on CD. Just forty ninety five plus GST. Hallelujah, Lenny and Buddha. Solid gold baubles on my Christmas tree. I've got all of heaven's riches. Thanks to all you stupid For modern Christianity, yeah. Whoever said religion should be free? Yeah, that's right. Praise the Lord and pass the tithing bucket. Now um, we're going to go back in time just a little bit here, and uh, this is, uh, if you would, a video describing the ministry of former Hillsong pastor. Pat Masidi. Now, I have to say former uh, because Pat has, uh, well, he's had some moral failings, if you would. But back in the day, he was quite the bee's knees down there in, uh, in, in Australia. And let's just listen to this promotional video for the ministry of Pat Masidi. Pat Masidi is a self-made multi-millionaire and is an internationally celebrated and gifted speaker, seasoned business executive, entrepreneur, mindset growth strategist, and best-selling author. Mindset growth strategist. That's this. You're going to get this. Because the atmosphere you create determines the product you produce. His dynamic... The atmosphere you create uh-huh. determines the product you produce. Leadership and business skills have allowed him to build the largest and most successful youth organization in the Southern Hemisphere, Youth Alive, having over 15,000 teens in regular attendance. 
He is the author of nine best-selling books, such as Pathways to Prosperity, The One Million Dollar Reason to Change Your Mind, and How to Have a Millionaire Mindset. Pat's books have sold in excess of 700,000 copies worldwide. Now, keep in mind, uh, for uh, quite a while, he was a uh, Hillsong pastor. His motivational programs have sold over 2 million copies internationally. Pat also graduated over 400 young men with drug addictions into a recovery program with a staggering 86% success rate. Pat Massetti says he knows the key to making millions. Pat Massetti is what's termed a prosperity activist. It's a goal of making prosperity activist. Thousand millionaires within his lifetime. Pat's appearances on many television programs has seen him televised into 14 million homes, plus articles published in newspapers and magazines nationally and internationally has made him a sought-after speaker and consultant on the international stage. Pat's enthusiasm combined with his great sense of humour gives him the ability to move an audience into action as well as give them practical resources to help them achieve their goals. Mr. Pat Masiti. You see, if you want to go to another level, you've got to do something different. In the absence of value, you'll argue cost. The law of investment and return. For the past three decades, Pat has worked, travelled, consulted and spoken to hundreds of thousands of people in over 39 countries, from CEOs to celebrities, actors and sporting personalities. Pat has worked with other world-class speakers, such as Robert Kiyosaki, Jim Rohn, Donald Trump, Dennis Waitley, Dr. John Demartini, Sir Richard Branson, Mark Victor Hansen, and Zig Ziglar, just to name a few. Pat is committed to helping raise 10,000 millionaires through his works. 10,000 millionaires. Yeah, wow. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean... I'm sure they become disciples of Jesus along the way somehow. He will shift your mindset, touch your heart, and increase your wealth. Wow, yeah. So, yeah, and he was a Hillsong pastor for quite a while. Uh, Let's head over to uh, Hillsong in the United Kingdom. Yeah, the uh, Hillsong London folks. As we listen to Dan Blythe... Um, uh, and, and his, uh, the opening to his sermon, uh, Bay watch B A E watch. Yeah. This is one of those relationship sermons uh, and this is to kind of kick off what's coming in the seeker driven world starting on Sunday, which I can hardly wait for, but th- this is, uh, uh, the Bay watch sermon from a, a little while back, but here's Dan Blythe of Hillsong London. So uh, as a preacher, um, you know, maybe you're wondering, like, how do you come up with what you speak about? Um, I don't know. We're supposed to preach the word, you know, all of it. You know, some churches work all the way through the Bible, from Genesis to Leviticus to Numbers to Deuteronomy, you know, go all the way through. But we don't do that as a church. Uh, no. Yeah. See, Hillsong doesn't do that. They're not into that full counsel of the word of God, 220, 221, whatever it takes. You see what I'm saying here? It's a bunch of little things that just don't add up. It's like 2 plus 2 is equaling 97 here, and I'm wondering how they came up with the, the, the sum at the bottom. Um, really because um, everything we'll kind of teach between is love God with all your heart, with all your mind, your soul, and love thy neighbor. And what you'll find is that nearly everything that Jesus taught did 
come under those two things. Yeah, no, that's the law. Yeah. You know, I, I'm looking at my time here. I'm going to have to take my first break. We'll come back to Dan Blythe and uh, see if we can sort some of this out. But like I said, today's episode, a little bit different than uh, the normal track here at Fighting for the Faith. We're just asking the question, is the NAR the theological equivalent of the mafia? And, uh, you know, we've got a bunch of people who clearly are not qualified to be teaching anybody nothing. And it's obvious if you pay attention to the little details, not just the big. But, uh, all right, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Pyre Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Pyre Christian. Quick break when we come back. We're going to hear from Dan Blythe. We're going to hear uh, Perry Noble. Yeah, we'll even check in with one of the pastors from C3 San Diego. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Relevance Schmelevance. We preach Christ crucified for our sins. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Max Holiday's Birdcage Theater presents Church Day Select. in other news, it seems that the inhabitants of Earth are not the only ones subject to economic slumps. Jensen Franklin, through direct revelation from God, has given us information that says that the unemployment rate within God's own army has drastically risen. Take a listen. An angel came and opened the doors and broke the chains. My point to you is simply this. When you don't pray, angels become unemployed. The greatest tragedy of prayerlessness is the unemployment of angels. Because when you pray, God gives angels their, their orders. When you pray, the spiritual battle in the heavenlies begins to be armed with the prayers of the saints and people binding. And whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. <laughs> Attention, angels. This is uh, the Holy Spirit. I have an announcement regarding the uh, latest downturn in the economy. And I understand that a lot of you have been unemployed lately due to a lack of prayer. And uh, I wish there was something that I could do about this. But, you know, I feel so powerless when it comes to these kind of things. Um, we, uh, we've uh, created a welfare uh, basket, uh, spiritual relief type of thing. And uh, so those of you who have uh, been hit hard by the latest downturn and are now finding yourselves unemployed, uh, please uh, proceed over to the uh, <clears throat> relief office and uh, we'll see what we can do to help you out. Thank you.
All right, all right. Everyone, just calm down. Thank you. Now I know that none of you care to be here, but since we're experiencing a worldwide shortage of prayer, it would behoove you to keep calm and allow us to do our jobs. Gabriel, but p- put your wings down. There's not nearly enough room for that. And Michael, Michael, don't cut in line. I know you're the big cheese around here, but all of us have been affected equally. Wait your turn. Next. What's your name? George. George. Yeah, whatever. Where'd you fly in from? South Orange County, California. California? That's frontline enemy territory. How many tours you done down in that kill box? About nine. Oh, you're quite the veteran. That's, uh, that's, uh, that's Rick Warren's territory, right? Yeah, he's got most of the people down there praying for purpose, better sex, other useless junk like that. Those idiots don't even realize they don't need God for such things. I hear you on that one. Now, I know it's not much, but this is what I can give you. It's our premium spiritual relief basket. Thank you. I'll be sure to put this to good use. (laughs) I know you will. Next! What's your name, bub? Harold. Okay. Harold, where you hailing from? Charlotte, North Carolina. Good gravy. You must really be hurting. Everyone knows that Stephen Furtick's neck of the woods are just filled to bursting with heretical slop. Uh, What are they praying for nowadays? It's the strangest thing. They keep praying to the sun, telling it to stand still. I don't get it. Those morons! Don't they know nothing about astrophysics? If they were to stop the sun, they'd burn half the world to a crisp. Moon rocks have higher IQs than those dingbats. All right, got a relief basket for you. I greatly appreciate the help. (laughs) I know, you're welcome. Next! And your name is... Bob. Bob? I swear, angels these days. All right, Bob, lay it on me. Where you from? Vatican City. Vatican City? (laughs) Are those bozos still praying to dead people and inanimate objects? More than ever. You know, that really frosts my cookies. I mean, seriously. Take Mary, for example. That poor woman has been dead for millennia. She's not answering prayers. Who is the dumb schmuck that thought praying to her would do anything in the first place? Humans! They're so darn gullible sometimes. Anyway, here's your relief basket. Sorry. Just getting real tired of that. Happens every time I give someone a basket. Next! This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, Our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches.
Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to be able to spot a fraud, a con man, and a phony by paying attention to some of the little details. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. And you can partner with us. It is a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute, well, an amount that you pick. That's right. There are four ranks in our crew. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's Mate at $24.95 a month. Master Gunner at $49.95 a month. And then Quartermaster at $99.95 a month. This is a great way to support us. Of course, if you'd like to make a one-time contribution, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, let me back up. We were, we were starting to listen to Dan Blythe of uh, Hillsong, London, and his, from his sermon, Baywatch, B-A-E. Yeah, that's right. It's a relationship sermon, uh, which we're going to be inundated with starting Sunday. Um, and I just shudder at the thought. In fact, uh, <laughs> Eric Dykstra is going to be doing a similar named sermon. Uh, yeah, Bay, Baywatch, B-A-E, watch. And apparently it's going to be how. It's a how-to sermon series on how to date, mate, and procreate. Mm-hmm. I'm not making that up. We actually put an exhibit in the Museum of Idolatry today regarding that. And, uh, yeah, and I'm thinking, really, Eric Dykes was going to teach us how to mate and procreate. We are praying that this is not an illustrated sermon series. Anyway, I think you get the point, but I think he ripped this idea off from Hillsong London. Uh, Dan Blythe, I think, was the first guy to actually try to weave this into a sermon and just pay attention to some of the little details of what he's saying. And you can immediately spot this guy doesn't know his Bible, just like quoting, you know, Phil Pringle quoting Genesis three and how the, you know, the, how Eve saw that the fruit was beautiful and pleasant to the eye and, 
and he just then does a devotional thought on the importance of beauty in church. Or, you know, John Cameron talking about, yeah, you know, Nebuchadnezzar was like the most awesome leader ever, the greatest the world has ever known. And so he was able to do this by this, that, and the other thing. So we've, made, we've modeled ourselves after Nebuchadnezzar's leadership model. You know, just weird things like that. You just sit there going, something is really, really, really off. 220, 221, whatever it takes. But let's go back, and here's Dan Blythe again. So as a preacher, um, you know, maybe you're wondering, like, how do you come up with what you speak about? Right, you know, because Scripture is very clear. We're to preach the Word, the full counsel of the Word of God. You know, it, you know think of it this way. Um, Jesus is in management Pastors are in sales, so they don't get to make decisions like this. Um, so um, as a pastor, I mean, yeah, I don't get to choose what I get to preach on. No, I, it's like, you know, sorry, you know, uh, Jesus has made it clear, full counsel, word of God, preach the word in season, out of season. Yeah, so I, you know, it's, I've got a job to do, and so i got to get to it. This guy seems to think that he has the ability to opt out of whatever it is that pastors are supposed to do. He thinks he's in management. No, he's not. Um, you know, some churches work all the way through the Bible, from Genesis to Leviticus to Numbers, to Deuteronomy, you know, go all the way through. But we don't do that as a church, um, really, because um, everything we'll kind of teach between is love God with all your heart, with all your mind, your soul, and love thy neighbor. Yeah, that's the summary of the law. Uh, the, the <laughs> yeah, Jesus said, on these, all of the law hangs. Yeah, the, all the law and the commandments hang on love neighbor, love God. That's the law. That's what condemns us and shows us that we fall short. But it also shows us what a good work is. But Scripture doesn't just give us law. It gives us law and gospel. So we've got a problem here. And what you'll find is that nearly everything that Jesus taught did come under those two things. No, Jesus taught more than just the law. Um, and if you want to know like, about the Pentateuch, about the Mosaic Law, about any of that deeper stuff, that's why we have evening college and there's Bible college. And hey, Yeah, so yeah, all that deeper stuff. Don't expect to hear about any of the deeper stuff <laughs> during a sermon. No, 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 we don't do that. We got more important things to do than do deeper biblical stuff during the sermon time. So come to college. Go to Bible college for that. Hey, there's this thing called the internet these days. Yeah. So you can jump on there and you can do your own research. Right. Just jump on the – Google it if you want to go deeper in God's word. We got more important stuff to do. So today I want to talk about something which is very practical. Um, and I hope it's going to help you. So notice here, you know, that if you want to go deeper, you're on your own. Go to Bible college. Uh, but we're going to do something practical. Um, what are you going to do, Dan? Please share. Um, so I would like you to take notes today. And uh, All right, so I'm going to take notes. What are you going to do? Uh, hopefully you'll be able to apply it to your life. Oh, I can't wait. I'm going to talk about relationships today. Um, uh, uh, you, you see the problem here? Something's like w w way off. And it's in the little details. Have we got any married people in the house? Yes, we do. Have we got anyone who's dating? Oh, couple. Okay, well, maybe by the end of this message, we might see a few more. Some of you are unsure. You're like, are you going to put your hand up? Am I, are, we, are we in this? Are we doing this? Who's single? Yes, I want to encourage you that your singleness is not something to be embarrassed about, but it's something to be embraced. This 
right now remember we we don't do that deep bible stuff you know if you want that go to college or you're on your own do some self study they're doing more important things during the sermon at Hillsong London. This is a great season in life. So we are going to get a little bit um, practical today and hopefully it will apply to everybody regardless of what season you're in. And even if you are married and say the majority of this is kind of for people who are single or dating, we all know people who are single. And it's, um, it's a hot topic. It's in all the magazines. It's in all the TV programs. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, singleness is discussed in all of the worldly magazines for sure yeah nothing moral discussed though in those magazines and so i want you to take this stuff so that you are actually empowered to uh to help people and to you know just to you got to empower people you got to be empowered to help people with the relationship to encourage them because uh, i see yeah. many depressed mopey people because they are single but uh not in this house so this message is called bermondsey baywatch B A E watch. Now remember, they uh, they they were they, they don't do in depth biblical teaching there at Hillsong London. No, you're on your own. You got to go to college. If you want to learn about the Pentateuch and stuff like that, but they have time for this. That's right. Anyone an '80s kid? Anyone remember Baywatch? Chuck it up here. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah, come on. We all know a little bit of... This is Hoff the Record, get it? Hoff the Record. Oh, yeah, that was so punny. Come on, sing along. Help somebody. And the edge of the renders inside. Don't you worry. Jerry, stand up. Be all right. Come on, sing along. You don't know this song, do you? You're way too young. Gibbsy, do you know this song? Come on, sing it, mate. Come on. Wow. Wow. I just wanted to break the ice. Yeah, but if you want in-depth biblical teaching, you're not going to get that Hillsong. London, no, no, they're way, way too busy. Yeah, right, you know, singing Baywatch. Boy, this is, like, again, you know, just think along with me, and you sit there, and when you start to put the dots together, you know, this doesn't fit into an overarching narrative as neatly as uh, the stuff we've put forward in the past here at Fighting for the Faith, but we're just pointing out that the obvious, there's something obviously obviously wrong now let's uh we're you know we're gonna just you know continue on i'm not gonna give a you know a special segment for uh this person but this is pastrix becky heinrichs of c3 church san diego and uh, a part of her message from this past sunday titled nevertheless and see if we can you know just note the obvious there's something obviously wrong here here we go. But not really, but it's going to be good. And, and I know it. Like I felt, so there was so many people that even told me like, oh, I woke up praying for this message today. Like something was going to be different. So I just know God's been waiting for this very moment to speak this message into his people. And it's going to be a great day in the house. Amen. Right. So God's been waiting to speak this message into his people. 
from a woman who's uh, disobeying the written word of God by preaching a sermon. All right. So nevertheless, we're in our New You Resolution series. And like they said, it's the, this is the last weekend of, of that series. And throughout the series, we've had Shredder Sunday, and then we've had Vision Sunday, and now we find ourselves here. And uh, Shredder Sunday. Okay. Those, the Shredder Sunday and Vision Sunday can kind of be wrapped up in a couple scriptures that we can find in Isaiah 43, 18 through 19. Really? Shredder Sunday and Vision Sunday are found in Isaiah. It says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? Okay, that's Isaiah 43, 19, where God is prophesying the new covenant, which Jesus establishes. So, I mean, if you know your Bible and and the prophecy of Isaiah at all, then you know this is a prophecy pertaining to the new covenant and what Jesus was going to be doing. Make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. So during Shredder Sunday, we actually wrote down on the things that we wanted to shred. We wanted to leave in the past and not take with us into our futures. We made a fake. It's weird because, you know, writing things down that you don't want to bring with you into the future and you want to leave in your past, that's what the forgiveness of sins is all about. You know, you think of 1 John. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So it's weird. We're just going to write down the things we want to leave in the past. Rather than confess our sins, repent, be forgiven by the shed blood of Christ, we're going to write them down and then imagine ourselves putting those papers into the shredder declaration by shredding those things that God was going to do something new. And then on vision Sunday, we wrote those things get down that God had spoken to us, those visions, those dreams that he had given us, believing that this year is going to be the greatest year for us personally, as well as in the life of our church, that God's going to do a new thing. But when I, right, you're twisting Isaiah 43 badly. I was rereading Isaiah 43, 19, something caught my attention. You figured out that it was about Christ and the new covenant? After God reassures us to forget the former things and that behold, he's going to do something new. It says, now it's going to spring forth. I'm going to do something. Watch. Don't you perceive it? It then immediately follows saying that he will make a way in the wilderness and bring streams in the desert. So he's reassuring us that he's doing something new, but then he wants to let us know that there might be difficulties and challenges and wilderness periods and desert periods ahead. But behold, there might be wilderness desert periods ahead in your in your life, folks. You better get ready because, you know, the wilderness periods could be happening in 2017 while God's doing a new thing. Going to do something new and he's going to make a way. He is going to make a way for those dreams and those visions to come to pass. Uh, No, that's not what this is talking about. This isn't talking about some dream or vision that you feel that God put in your heart for 2017. Nevertheless, the title or the, the definition of nevertheless is this. Nonetheless, notwithstanding, however, in spite of, implies that something is true even though there are obstacles or opposing conditions. 
It applies that something is true, even though there are obstacles and opposing conditions. You know, when we, some of us wrote on our vision card, some of us received a miracle, like right off the bat. We had testimony. You, you wrote things down on vision cards? What? Where are you getting this from? You, this is not taught in Isaiah 43. And stories of people that were writing things down on their vision cards. And as they're actually writing it, they receive a text message that the deal that they thought was not going to close ended up closing. And they had a massive breakthrough in the moment they were writing it down. God delivered on his word. Some of us have already received. The- really? God gave a word that he would close business deals? Dreams and those visions that are coming to pass. But then others of us have been blasted by unexpected challenges and difficulties. So today I'm here to reassure you that God will make a way in the wilderness and bring... God has already in Christ done that. ...in the desert. Amen. So I want to encourage you, if this is the year we believe that God is going to do great things, if this is the year that we believe God has spoken to us about our future and the hope that we have in it, and and in spite of the obstacles and opposing conditions, we can believe and trust that God promises for us are true, we are going to need to get a little bit of that nevertheless kind of spirit on the inside of us. We've got to have that nevertheless kind of spirit if we want to see these things come to pass in our lives. Right, so that's the qualification. If you don't get the nevertheless spirit, then the the visions can't come to pass in your life. This woman is hapless. You know, 220, 221, whatever it takes, man. So I want us to choose this day collectively. Let's choose this day today to not be double-minded. To not be double-minded and believe that all things are possible with God. In James 1, 6 through 8, it says, But let him ask in faith... With no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man. Right. James wasn't talking about your 2017 vision for the new thing that God's doing in your life. That's not what he's talking about in James chapter 1. I mean, let's take a look at it. I mean, this is just unbelievable. James 1. Um uh, if uh, if any of you lacks wisdom, I'll start at verse 5. Let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose he will receive anything. From the Lord, he's double-minded, and he's unstable in all his ways. Yeah, so it's talking about asking God for things, not having faith so that you know, you can somehow show God that you're ready to receive the vision for 2017 in your life, even though you're going to have a wilderness period kind of thing. What is this woman talk? This isn't biblical Christianity. I don't know what this is. And it's obvious that it isn't. Stable in all of his ways. So can we stay the course? Can we believe God when everything in our circumstances look like that it's impossible? Can we not doubt and believe in God's faithfulness when hardship strikes? Or do we fold like a deck chair at the first sign of difficulty? Can we not be double-minded? Because James tells us that our doubt is actually a self-fulfilling prophecy. Uh, No, that's not what he's saying. He's talking about the person who doubts and doesn't actually trust God. 
When we doubt, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. When we, when we trust, when we ask God, when we believe, we cannot doubt that he's able to make it come to pass. We have to believe that all things are possible with him. Galatians 6, 9, it says, let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time. You will reap a harvest if we do not give up. We will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Yeah, Galatians 6, 9 is not talking about your 2017 vision that God's supposed to give you for the new thing he's doing in this year. So the only way to ensure that we're not going to reap a harvest is if we give up. You want your 2017 harvest, right? I wonder how many dreams and visions have fallen to the ground. Oh, no. There's dreams and visions falling to the ground. Because we gave up too early. Oh, no. That's terrible. Can you imagine? We have no idea when our breakthrough is right around the corner because we can't see it coming. But how many of us know that God takes a really long time to move suddenly? (laughs) Isn't it? But God takes a really long time to move sudden. This is just absurdity. It's utter nonsense. It's patently obvious that these people are complete con artists, total charlatans, incapable of rightly handling God's word. They don't even make any pretense of making it look like they're obeying it, that they think it's important, that they know how to rightly handle it, that they're qualified to do so. And yet these people are literally bilking, and I mean bilking, people who are Christians out of billions of dollars every year. We're dealing with the theological equivalent of the mafia. That's what this is. It's like the mafia. Now, let's kind of change it up a little bit. And uh, we're going to do a Perry Noble update. That requires us to do this. Oh, it really doesn't matter what I do, what I do. As as long as I do it with a flag. What effect a little smoke is with a dash of hocus-pocus And the scent of burning sulfur in the air I'm a fraud, a hoax, a charlatan, a joke But they love me everywhere For it really doesn't matter what I do, what I do As long as I do it with a flap That's right, so uh, we're heading over to Elevation Church And uh, just so you know, I held off on this, although I knew about the sermon on Monday, I did my my homework. And uh, in doing my homework, I simply contacted the uh, PR person over at Newspring. And here's what I wrote to her. Here's what I wrote. This is uh, Chris Roseborough with Pirate Christian Radio and the Fighting for the Faith radio program. I'm writing to inquire about Perry Noble's ministry status. Normally, when a pastor is removed from the office for a moral failing, he is forbidden from preaching until he has met the requirements for restoration that are laid down by his governing church body. In certain cases, the sin or the circumstances pertaining to that sin may make restoration impossible. 
This past Sunday, Perry Noble preached the sermon at Elevation Church. My question for you is whether or not New Spring or your governing church body has officially restored Perry Noble to pulpit ministry. I'm trying to determine if you all have given him a green light or if Perry is making these decisions independent of a local board of elders or a governing church body. That's the email that I sent. It took them a couple of days to respond, but they responded. And um, I'd like to read to you the very short response that I received from the chief communications officer at New Spring Church. She wrote, Perry has not been through a process of restoration led by our church. Therefore, we were not involved in his decision to preach at Elevation Church. Now, I am not going to, you know, at this point, make any, how should I put this? I am not going to make a hard and fast rule as to whether or not Perry Noble can or should be restored to ministry. Um, And the fact is this, is that different church bodies have different policies and different rules regarding whether or not a pastor who has had a moral failing can be restored to ministry. Certain sins they do not permit. Some church bodies permit even egregious sins like adultery. Given under certain circumstances, a person could be restored. All right? Um, I have friends in the ministry who have committed sins, been removed from the office, and restored to ministry. Notice I'm using the plural. All right? So this is not about that. I am going to basically say that pastors, due to the fact that they are called to the pastoral office, that they cannot act independently. We'll we'll kind of start with that concept. You know, um, I didn't independently make myself the pastor of Kongsvinger Lutheran Church in Oslo, Minnesota. Far from it. Um, Instead, I colloquized into the AALC, presented myself to the uh, the clergy commission there, I went through a rigorous process where I was vetted out, literally vetted. And, uh, you know, that included a background check. It included, you know, checking my theological training and abilities and expertise and presenting myself for examination and scrutinization before a particular uh, body. And then o- only after... Um, I was approved to receive a call. Did I receive a call to pastor a, a, a church? And if I committed a sin that led to me being driven from the pastoral office, I have no ability on my own to restore myself to pastoral ministry or to the preaching office. In fact, I know for a fact, if I did something like that and was removed from the office, that the AALC would make it extremely clear that if if there was any hope of me being restored, and it depend on it would depend on the sin, if there would be any hope of me being restored, that part of that process would include me being you know off of social media, out of the public eye, not doing any preaching or teaching or whatever. Um, and uh, until such a time as they have determined that I could be restored. 
And so the idea here is that when somebody falls, when there is a, 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 a very public an egregious moral failing and somebody is removed from the office, they cannot on their own restore themselves to ministry. But here's the thing. Perry Noble did. Perry Noble preached a sermon at Elevation Church on Sunday, and there is no governing body, no local board of elders, no church body like the Southern Baptist Convention or anything like that, that has put him through a restoration process and has said he is now fit to return and to begin engaging in public preaching and teaching. Nothing like that has happened at all. And so what you are going to hear is Perry Noble deciding on his own that he is fit to return to public preaching ministry. Here's Perry Noble from this past Sunday uh, on the 11th anniversary of uh, Elevation Church, uh, preaching at Elevation Church where Stephen Furtick is the vision casting leader. Here we go. I was, uh, mm. so he, he's a wee bit emotional and everyone gave him, you know, the, you know, a big round of applause. Hmm. Interesting. Yet no church body or group of elders has restored him to preaching ministry. He's made this decision all on his own. You may be, you may be seated. I uh, can't thank you enough for. Oh yeah, sorry. They gave him a standing O. In the house on the 11 year anniversary, and every time Pastor Stephen tells that story, he he talks about how you know I believed in him, but Stephen, it's always been easy to believe in you, man. It was never a stretch. It was never difficult. It was never a challenge. Weird. Just weird. Because normally the job of a pastor is to get people not to believe in a pastor, but to believe in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. I mean, this is so obviously off. Again, this is mafia kind of stuff. Yeah, man, if he goes down, don't worry, man. I got your back. You don't need to be restored by any elders or curmudgeony churchy people. We'll, we'll, we'll set you back up in business. No problem, man. Um, every time we had lunch, you challenged me. I just didn't tell you because I wanted you to think that I was challenging you. <laughs> Pastor Stephen and Holly have been some of the best friends that I've ever had. They had me in their home this Thanksgiving. That's where I realized that Holly is truly one of the most special people on the planet as I discovered that she likes banana pudding without bananas. And that is the sign of a genius. So I, 
I can't, I can't, t- I could go on and on and on about a friend that sticks closer than a brother, but I would probably weep and collapse on this stage and you didn't show up for that. And, um, so I'm going to try to do a little bit of preaching. This evening. Who gave you the green light to return to pastoral ministry? to the preaching office, to engage in any kind of public preaching whatsoever. I mean, I'm glad to hear that you spent 30 days in rehab. And I'm, I'm very happy to hear that you believe that Christ has forgiven you. I, I believe that's absolutely true. I'm very happy to hear about the number of days that you've been sober. That's great. But the church doesn't belong to you. The church is Christ's church. And pastors are called. And those who preach must show themselves approved. You have been removed from the pastoral office for cause. Who restored you? I'm... I'm a bit curious and I'm a, I'm a guy that likes audience participation. I'm, I'm kind of curious as to how many people are actually from the South? You're actually from the South. Okay. Yeah, yeah. How many of you are transplants from the North? Okay. Yeah. Not as loud, but we're glad you're here. Um, there's, there's some rules about the South that you need to understand. And these are just rules. These are timeless principles. They've always existed. They always will exist. Um, like, for example, there's some things you don't talk about in the South unless you want to start a fight. For example, politics. You don't talk about politics in the South. And if you do talk about politics in the South. So notice he's beginning with a stand-up comedy routine. You will start a fight. I never will forget one Sunday I was preaching and all I was doing was sharing an illustration about George W. George w. Bush. Now, I don't care if you love him or hate him. It was just a simple illustration. And somebody accosted me after the sermon to tell me about the hurricane machine that George W. Bush had invented and was actually sending hurricanes upon the United States in order to galvanize the economy. By the way, if you're here and you think that George W. Bush did invent a hurricane machine, I would love to hear from you. You can email me at PastorStephen at Elevation.com, and I'll get back to you as soon as possible. You don't talk about somebody's mama in the South. Because if you talk about somebody, like if you want to start a fight, if somebody goes, hey, man, where are you going? You go, I'm going to your mom's house. That right there will get you busted in the mouth. And, and last but not least... You don't talk about college football in the South because college football has ended relationships, marriages, parents and children have stopped talking to each other over college football. And I understand this is Charlotte and it's a professional town, but, but I'm, how many true college football fans do we have here? So understanding that if you talk about college football, you'll start a fight. I would like to talk about my beloved Clemson Tigers. Yeah, normally when I preach, I like to tell people about my beloved Savior, Jesus. So we got a problem here, and it's obvious. It's just glaringly obvious. We have a man who was removed 
from being the vision casting leader of Newspring, which is an, an example, if you would, of a rare occurrence in the seeker driven movement where a vision casting leader is actually held accountable. Um, he had a very public fall, but he has restored himself to the stage, to preaching and teaching. He didn't go through any process of restoration. New Spring hasn't restored him. Southern Baptist Convention hasn't restored him. He's just restored himself. And first day back from preaching, oh, he wants to tell everyone about his beloved college football team. Hmm. Now, granted, he goes on to, you know, eventually open up a biblical text and do something that sort of kind of looks like law and gospel. The problem was it wasn't gospel. And it really wasn't the law. And all of this is obvious. Who is holding this man accountable? Nobody. He's accountable to nobody. There is n- there's no go- there's no governing group who who this guy is accountable to at all. Is he accountable to his therapist now? Is this therapist the guy who's determining whether or not he can return to actual, you know, preaching and teaching in Christ's church? If it's his therapist that gave him the green light, my question would be, on what authority? You know, this is, again, we're, we're, something is really, really obviously off. Way, way off. And, you know... It's as obvious as 220, 221, whatever it takes. Hmm. All right. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to head over to Singapore. Yeah, City Harvest Church. And we're going to listen to the New Year's Eve sermon of uh, Kong Hee, who should be in prison, who's out right now on appeal, but he's been convicted of a crime. Yeah, stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. We don't need to rethink Christianity. We need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Hi, Rich Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We here at Pirate Christian Radio understand the importance of outreach ministries and what they can provide for the people they serve. We've recently discovered a small charity organization called Kenyan Christian Arts. This group has come together to craft and sell unique handmade Christian art locally and around the world to provide the funds necessary to feed, medicate, and educate orphan children in Kenya. Additionally, a portion of the proceeds from every purchase is donated to the FredEx International Foundation to help the poor and orphan children all over western Kenya. Please visit KenyanChristianArts.com and take a look at their selection of hand-carved soapstone goods. Their selection includes a variety of pieces such as crosses, vases, nativity sets, and even mugs. Remember, 
That's kenyanchristianarts.com. Thank you. Oi, Captain, we got ourselves a heretic. (laughs) And exactly how do ye know that she be a heretic? She be endorsing the health and wealth heresy. Does he be speaking the truth? Jesus died to make us rich. (laughs) And what exactly do we do with heretics? Oh, we throw them in the boo box. No, no, no. We preach the gospel to them. What if, um, the heretic doesn't repent? Then we throw them in the boo box. is to heretic, to R is to pirate. Get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash Refermanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game Refermanda and join the fight for the faith today. Thinking along with me today as I peruse my way through the purpose-driven NAR Dominionist movements and point out the glaringly obvious. See if we can do a little bit more of that. Good, the bad, the ugly, we review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon was delivered on New Year's Eve 2016. That's right, the day before 2017 began. Name of the sermon is Visions and Dreams, delivered by Kong Hee. Let me remind you that Kong Hee was convicted, literally convicted, of misappropriating $24 million in church funds, funneling them into a bogus investment you know, fund that funded the career of his wife, uh, Sun Ho. Mm-hmm. He was sentenced to eight years in prison. He is out... Pending the outcome of an appeal. And my question is who on earth permits a man convicted of misappropriating $24 million in church funds? It's not that he was 
there, it's still up in the air. He's actually been found guilty of this. Who permits this man to continue to preach? Where is the governing church body that basically says you need to sit down and we're not going to restore you to ministry until all of this is sorted out? Because, I mean, he's not actually uh, appealing his guilty verdict. He's trying to get a, a, a less severe sentence. So let me kind of back off on the music and uh, we're going to uh, continue here. Uh, so here's the sermon, uh, Visions and Dreams, delivered by the convicted, convicted felon, uh, Kong He. Much your neighbor and say, going to enjoy the word tonight. <laughs> Father, I just pray even right now that, Lord, you speak to us and let there be a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, that we will know our inheritance, we will know what you have done for us and the exceeding, exceeding greatness of your power deposited in each one of us to do mighty exploits in Jesus' name for 2017. And we vow to give you all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone say, Amen. Amen. As we come to the final hours of 2016, and I've been counting down together with you, we're now less than six hours away, I want you to be full of faith and hope for this coming year. I want all of you to be full of expectation that God is going to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all you could think or you could imagine. Now, he's twisting the book of Ephesians here, a benedictory thought at the tail end of a prayer that exists in the book of Ephesians. He's twisting it. But the obvious should be like smacking everybody in the face. This man has been convicted of misappropriating $24 million in Singaporean funds and is been sentenced to eight years in prison. It's a mercy that he's out at all. Why is he preaching? Something good is going to happen in your life in the new year. Something uh, really? So now he's filling these people's heads with nonsense because he's twisted a text from Ephesians. Something good is going to happen in your career, in your business. Something good is going to happen. Yeah, that's vague. Is Something good's going to happen. Yet most years are filled with both good and bad. In your ministry, if you're serving God in church, in the marketplace for you, something good is going to happen in your marriage. In your family, in your homes, something good is going to happen in all your pursuits, in all the desires of your heart. I want you to know you are not a failure. And you must never see yourself as a failure in any shape, form, or fashion. Really, um, how about the, I have failed to actually keep God's commandments? Yeah, First John chapter 1 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. That's what it says. So um, if we say we have no sin, um, we're saying we haven't failed at all in keeping God's commandments and laws. This man is speaking obvious, obvious falsehoods. And his, the fact he's even preaching at all is obvious as a problem. Who are these people accountable to? Seriously. 
there's clearly no biblical moral accountability at all. My question is, are we dealing with a mafia? This this feels like, acts like, behaves like the mafia. Not anything to do with Christ's church. God didn't create you and then suddenly decided to abandon you to suffer for the rest of your life. If 2016 has been challenging for you, well, you're in the final hours. Next year, God is going to take you on an adventure, a journey that you never dream of. Because you know why? You are a child of destiny. Everybody say, I'm a child of destiny. What a bunch of malarkey from a man convicted of a felony. And you know what the Bible tells us? God has predestinated us to be saved, to be justified and glorified. Isn't that wonderful? You are predestined, predetermined to be not just justified, but to be glorified. That's Romans 8, verse 29, verse 30. If you're taking down notes. Now, in other words, you're going from glory to glory. Everything that we need pertaining to life and godliness, He has given to us in His divine power. So 2 Peter 1, 3 says, He has called you to glory and virtue. So you are not called to a life of shame or reproach. You are not called to live a life or humiliation or disgrace. So you must have a... So notice, by his own theology, there's no shame, there's no reproach. Doesn't matter, he's been convicted of bilking these people out of millions of dollars. Tens of millions. No, no shame, no reproach, I'm not a failure. That's his theology for himself coming through. And, and the people there, you know what they're doing? They're eating it up when it's so obvious. It's like a fly on the end of their nose. A big one, too, like a horse fly sitting right there. Something's obviously wrong. Heavenly vision for this coming year. A heavenly vision. Not just an earthly one. Not just a worldly one. We want a heavenly vision divine, supernatural vision. A vision that is inspired by the Holy Spirit. A vision that is anointed by God. And that is the vision you're going to receive tonight. Now, what is a vision? You, you, you should Really, God's going to give him a vision, a heavenly vision, just because you said so. Expect, as you come to end of this year and start of a new year, pastor is going to talk about vision. What is vision? Now, if you remember a few months ago, I said vision is really the unfolding of God's divine plan and purpose for your life. It's the unfolding of God's divine plan for you. You got a verse that says that in context, Kong? It's the unfolding of God's divine purpose as it relates to you. God's plan and purpose for your life. Now, a vision is important. Why? Because without a vision, the people perish. Now, that is a twisting of God's word. Yeah, that text, go and look it up. 
that ver- he just quoted half of a verse. Without a vision, the people perish. But what they need is God's Torah. Read the rest of the sentence. We've covered this so many times here at Fighting for the Faith. He is obviously twisting God's word. He is obviously preaching when he should not be. He is a convicted felon. He, I mean, there's so many things that are obviously wrong here. Why are these people not seeing the obvious? You heard that many times. Proverbs 29 verse 18 in the King James Version. Where there's no vision, the people perish. But what is interesting tonight, I want to leave you, is this. In the original text, the word perish means you are made naked. That means without a vision, you'll be stripped of your honor and your dignity. Really, that's what Proverbs 29.18 means. Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint, comma, but blessed is he who keeps the Torah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've got some major problems here. And by the way, he's right about um, yipara in the Hebrew. It does mean to uncover, Um, but that's not the, the least of the problems here. He's twisting this text, only read half the verse, claiming that God's going to give them a vision and unfold the vision for their life there on New Year's Eve. All the while, he is literally waiting the decision of an appeal regarding the length of his sentence, and he has been convicted of bilking these people out of tens of millions of dollars. That is why vision is important. Because as children of God... He wants to elevate you into a place of honor. He wants to elevate you into a place of favor. He wants to lift you and promote you to a place of dignity. That is why you need vision. To recover every dignity and honor that you may have lost. Satan, the devil, is a thief. John 10.10 Jesus says, I come to give you life and life more abundantly. But the devil is only good for one thing. To kill, to steal, and to destroy. But how many of you know, the Bible tells us that when God apprehends the thief, he must restore everything back to you sevenfold. Seven times, everything the thief has stolen must be restored back to you. Let's believe that. Okay, um... The 27 million you built from these people, do the math. You got to restore it back to them that much yourself. Again, this is so obviously wrong. Your cancer is going to be healed. Your tumor, whether it's a benign or malignant, is going to be dissolved. It's going to leave your body. Let's believe 2017, your marriage is going to be restored. Let's believe it's going to be seven times happier. You're going to be seven times more in love with your husband. Seven times more in love with your wife in 2017. This is nonsense. All your savings that you have lost in the last year or years is going to be restored in 2017. He's continuing to con these people and it's obvious. Your reputation that you have 
suffered a, a, a reproach, whatever it may be, it may be a hit on your reputation. Everything is going to be restored back. Well, everybody say out loud. Say, 2017 is my year of restoration. Say loud, the 2017 is my year of restoration. Turn to your neighbors and left and right. Say, the next year will be a year of your restoration. Hallelujah. Amen. So you must... Yeah, just because he said so. ...have a vision for this to happen. Because without a vision, you can't get back the honor. Without... Oh, man. This is so bad. Without the vision... You cannot get back that dignity. So this week, I came across four little statements made by a famous American preacher called Jesse Duplantis. And he made four statements. Jesse Duplantis. Jesse Duplantis, the money-grubbing televangelist. I, I read one of his blogs, and I was kind of blessed by it. He said this. He said, concerning our future, four questions we must ask ourselves. How big do you want to dream? How much do you want to envision? How hard do you want to work? And how much of the past do you want to forget? So tonight I'm just going to use these statements as a simple outline of my message. Just want to borrow the four thoughts that he put in his blog. But let's start by talking about dreams and visions, visions and dreams. Acts chapter 2 and verse 17. Now, why don't we all read this verse together out loud. Acts 2, 17 from the front to the back, starting now. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Your old man shall dream dreams. Your young man shall see what? Visions. See what? Visions. Old man shall dream. Yeah, out of context, that's fulfilled there on the day of Pentecost. That is, oh man, this is so bad. Dreams. Visions and dreams. Dreams and visions. What are the difference? What's the difference? You see, I mean... Obviously, if the scripture put them out separately, there must be certain differences. Well, let me preface by saying this. Visions and dreams are powerful. Because, yeah, what about that text of scriptures that says that a pastor must be above reproach? You clearly are not. When you have them, they turn into faith. And they can increase inspire and propel your faith when you have faith you start creating by faith by his word god created the entire universe what god created the universe by faith oh this is straight up heresy listen again when you have faith you start creating By faith, by his word, God created the entire universe. Straight up heresy. God did not create the universe by faith. This man is a con man. He's a convicted felon. 
He should not be preaching to anyone. And he is permitted to continue to exploit people in the name of Jesus with nobody holding him accountable. And believe me when I tell you, Kong, he is a major player in the NAR. He is considered to be an apostolic leader. He's in league with Phil Pringle and with Brian Houston and men like that, Yang Yi Cho. He is literally a mafia don. You start creating a great and glorious future. By faith, we provoke the hand of God. We move God to act on our behalf. And that is why we talk so much about faith in City Harvest Church. Because when you have faith, you start becoming creative like God. Now, what's the difference between visions and dreams? A dream has to do with our thoughts. It has to do with our thoughts. That is why when we start dreaming, you know, and nothing is impossible. When a little child dreams, he could fly into outer space. When you dream, you can walk through walls. When you dream, nothing is impossible. So uh, the saying is true. It costs nothing to dream because nothing is impossible when you dream. Now, as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. Another verse out of context. Now, this is not thinking with human logic and human reasoning. This thinking with the heart is thinking with your human spirit. It's thinking in the spiritual dimension. It's not thinking with your human brain. You see, your thoughts must get interested, aroused, stir up, feel up, informed. Where does it say my thoughts need to become any of these things? By the human spirit who is in touch with God's Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit wants to show you things concerning your life, concerning God's divine plan for you, God's divine purpose for you. And our thoughts got to be informed By the Holy Spirit. That's why Romans 12 verse 2 says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. No, that's not why Romans 12 says that. You're taking all of these verses out of context and weaving them into a theology that Jesse Duplantis created, and he is a notorious word of faith heretic. So we are not talking about human logic, human reasoning, human ambition. Oh, I just want to be rich. I want to be famous. I want to live in a big house, have a nice car. You know, I, we're not talking about worldly reasoning. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, our spirit has no problem believing anything God says. Everything God says in the Holy Bible, our spirit can accept it. When we read the verse, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Deep down inside we say, yes, amen. I know that. I can believe that. When God says, you're going to do this, you're going to do that. Yes. Yes, I believe. Our struggle is always with our mind. And with our body. With our human flesh. 
And that is why our mind must be renewed. How? By the revelation of God's word. By the revelation, the rhema given by the Holy Spirit. So the Bible says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that then you will be able to test. That means you can try out. And approve what, is, what God's will is. That means you begin to, to try out. And, and the Bible is saying it's alright to try out. You got an idea. How do you know it's from God or it's from somewhere else? How do you know it's not just a worldly ambition? God is secure enough and say you can test this. You can try out if my will is good or not for your life. And then you start approving what he likes. You begin to like what God likes. You begin to desire what he desires. So the more you do this, and I've been doing this for the last 41 years. I, this next year, in a few hours, I'll be 42 years old as a Christian. The more you do this, the more you'll be walking in his goodwill, in his pleasing will, and ultimately in his perfect will. How many of you want to walk or want to be in the center of God's perfect will? Just wave your hands, right? So, when our mind and our spirit, they are in sync. They are moving together. They are formulating your future for you. When your thoughts is informed by your spirit, they work together to formulate your destiny. In fact, when you Now notice... There aren't any biblical passages that are saying any of the things he's saying. He's just spinning this theology out of the blog of Jesse Duplantis and into the hearts and minds of these people. All the while, it is patently obvious he shouldn't be preaching anything to anyone, anywhere. A desire is so in sync with God's own desire they really become one. Then, the Bible says, Psalms 37 verse 4, Delight yourself also in the Lord, and He shall give you the desires of your heart. So anything you desire, God is going to give it to you, because your desire is in sync now with His desire. This is scratching, itching ears. Your heart is beating in the same frequency with God's heart. Your thoughts is moving in the same frequency with God's thoughts. Then whatever you desire, God is going to give it to you. You have a wishful thinking. Oh, I just wish something, this and that will happen. 24 hours later, bam, it happens. Well, tonight, why don't we make a decision? Let's purify our heart. Let's get in sync with God's heart. Let's open our heart to the love of God, our Heavenly Father. Let's open up our heart to Abba Father. Let's sensitize our, our spirit to Jesus and to His Holy Spirit. Because when our desire is in sync with God's own desire, you begin to dream His dreams. That's when God's dream become real in your life. You know why the Bible says, old men dream dreams? Not because they are tired and you know, you sleep a lot. 
Even though physically that may be true. But because when you're older... How can Kong He's desires be in sync with Jesus's when he's been convicted of misappropriating tens of millions of dollars of church funds? You have, you have lived life experiences. You have gone through a lot of stuff. And you begin to realize what's really important. Your desire is getting in sync with God's desire. So you begin to dream God's dreams. And let me tell you something about a dream that is inspired by God. Dreams given by God has no expiration date. There's no expiration date. Abraham could be a hundred years old. And yet that dream is still very much active and is alive. I absolutely believe the dream that God has given to you. Even when you were young. When we were studying out together. That dream is still active and still alive. God doesn't give you a dream and walk away from it. You see? So, how big do you want to dream tonight? How big? It's up to you. How big do you want to dream? Because in the realm of dreams, nothing is impossible. So, Is he pointing him to Jesus? Is he rightly exegeting a single text? He's filling their hearts with a theology that is literally magic. Yeah. This is wicked deception. And he shouldn't even be preaching at all. When Jesus says, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. You know what he's effectively saying is this. Nothing is impossible to the man or to the woman who dreams. If you can dream... Nothing will be impossible to you. So how... That's not what he said at all. And he's not reading any text in context. Every sentence ripped from its context, twisted to make it conform with the theology of Jesse Duplantis. Big of a dream do you want? If only you could dream, nothing is impossible to you. When our dream is in line with God's word, it will manifest everything that's logically impossible into the natural dimension. We will start believing the unbelievable and receive the impossible. If only you could dream. So my first question for all of you here tonight is this. How big of a dream do you want? How big do you want to dream? All right? You can never knock down somebody with a dream. Your dream will set your agenda. Your dream will prepare you for your future. What are you believing God for in 2017? So Clearly, they're not believing him for the forgiveness of their sins and eternal life. Clearly. A dream has to do with our thoughts. Now, a vision is different. It has to do with our imagination. It has to do with our imagination. And let me say this. 41 years as a Christian. Our imagination could possibly be the most... I'm having a hard time believing he's a Christian at all. ...powerful weapon God has given to us in our arsenal. Your imagination... 
is the most powerful spiritual weapon God has put into your life. Says no biblical text anywhere. No other creature in God's entire universe has this ability to dream and see visions. Only us. Only you and I humans. Only we can imagine. So go with me to Genesis chapter 11 right now. And here's the story of the Tower of Babel. Mm-hmm. Tower of Babel. Yeah. Remember at the uh, beginning of the program, we noted how Phil Pringle um, saw that apparently um, Genesis 3, 6, you know, Eve saw that the fruit was beautiful and delightful, meant that that, that means we that churches need to be beautiful and appealing to the eye. Um, then John Cameron talked about how he follows the leadership model of Nebuchadnezzar. Uh-huh. And Nebuchadnezzar, oh, he, you know, only the, the bright and the beautiful were part of his leadership team. That's part of the secret of the success of a rise church out there in New Zealand. Um, yeah, remember that. So the Tower of Babel, the story of the, yeah, after the flood of humanity disobeying God, and staying together in a clump rather than going and actually spreading out across the face of the earth, they decided to build a tower so that they can you know, reach to the heavens. And God came down and confused their speech in order to disperse them. Mm-hmm. This is not one of the highlights of the history of humanity. This is literally one of the lowlights due to their refusal to obey God. All right, now look at verse one. Let's, let's look at the first five, six verses, okay? Now the whole earth had one language and one speech. The place of agreement is the place of power. Everybody say out loud with me. Say the place of agreement is the place of power. This, this is demonic. You're finding virtue here in the people who are disobeying God. In 992, Jesus said to me one time, in those days, God was giving me uh, the concept of building not just a neighborhood church, but a strong local church. And, and Jesus said this to me, he said, Kong, if you could get everybody. Yeah, if Jesus were actually speaking to you, he would be telling you to step down and not be preaching in his church. You are a convicted felon. From the youngest to the oldest, to be of one heart and speak one language and move in one vision, united in love for one another, then you will move like a mighty plow in the harvest field of the world and nothing will be impossible for the church. If we could just all have the unity of spirit, speak one language, if we are able to be of one speech, Now, verse 2. It came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of China and they dwelt there. Then they said to one another, now let me give you the context over here. The people here were all heathens. They were non-believers. They were sinners. And very wicked, rebellious sinners uh, for the fact. Yeah, they were rebelling against God's express command to humanity. After the flood, Genesis 9, 1, God blessed Noah and his sons, and he said to them, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. 
Uh-huh. Rather than filling the earth, they were all clumped together and staying together rather than letting themselves be dispersed. Let me read. Now, the whole earth, Genesis 11.1. 1. The whole earth had one language, the same words. As the people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. They said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. And then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top to the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. They're rebelling against what God commanded in Genesis 9. So the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. So come, let us go down and therefore confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all of the earth. Mm -hmm. Isn't it weird? Phil Pringle, John Cameron. I would even say the, the, the gentleman we heard from Hillsong London, and now Kong Hee. They all are literally extolling evil, finding, well, important, great things to be embraced in evil. Nebuchadnezzar, Eve despising the word of God and in her heart literally coveting the forbidden fruit. And here, the Tower of Babel and these rebellious people who refuse to be dispersed over the face of the earth and do what God commanded. So God came and assisted them in obeying his command. And these mafia types, they are extolling evil. And it's obvious. And they were led by a very evil man called Nimrod. So they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone, and they had asphalt for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city, and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Now, humanly, it's impossible, right? I mean, how are you going to build a tower, no matter how great you are, that will reach all the way to God in the heavens? It's humanly impossible. They are planning... Uh, impossible, illogical, unreasonable uh, plan or plot. And then he says, let us make a name for ourselves. So they wanted to be great. Lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Look at verse 5. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of man had built. Now, wait a minute. The Tower of Babel hadn't been fully built yet. But the Lord came down to see. To see what? Has, that's why today people can speculate how the ruins will look like 
They couldn't find an actual physical tower because it has never been built. But yet, the Lord came down to see the city. Because as, as far as God is concerned, it's already built. Where? In their imagination. Uh, what are you talking about? Do you know any of the uh, archaeology of the Middle East? There's a site that uh, they've already identified long ago as the probable site of the Tower of Babel. Oh, this is just so bad. It is obvious. In their imagination. And God was concerned. Because if you can build something in your imagination... The impossible becomes possible. This is absurd. So here were a bunch of very wicked people, but their imagination provoked God to draw near. Hey, can you, if wicked people can bring God into a situation by their imagination, how much more thousands of us here tonight who love Jesus and walking in righteousness, filled with the Holy Spirit, if we dare to visualize and imagine how much closer God will be to us. Oh, come on, you believe that? Let's give God a big hand. Hallelujah. Oh, you want to clap? Let's give the Lord a big clap. Amen. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Now, I'm not going to review the sermon in its entirety. Um, We're not even to the halfway point yet. And this is obviously off. From the word go, even before Kong He said a word, by his mere presence as a convicted felon, going to a pulpit on a stage to preach to God's people, Shows he has no accountability, no conscience. And as a result of it, what he's going to say is not sound at all. It's going to be off. And he is a key linchpin mafia leader in the NAR. I'm just going to ask the question. Is the NAR and its purpose-driven, you know, counterparts, and those who are out there conquering the seven mountains to bring the kingdom of God to earth and help people discover their dream destiny and their purposes and all of that, are we dealing with the theological equivalent of the mafia? Because I don't see anything that even remotely looks like or sounds like Christ's under-shepherds, pastors. What I'm hearing and what I'm seeing is so obviously off. The only person who could truly be behind the scenes leading all of this is the devil himself. We're dealing with little antichrists. That's exactly what we're faced with at this point. And there's no accountability. None. These men have no consciences. They are not sent by God the Holy Spirit. They are sent by themselves. And nobody can get rid of them. And they won't leave even when they're convicted of crimes 
or removed from the pastoral office with cause. They act on their own authority. These are the men who are literally the little antichrists in the world, in God's kingdom. They're not doing Christ's work. They're doing the devil's. What do you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you. In the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, by curious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.